there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So first and foremost, I wanted to give a huge super shout out to my official very first supporter on Buy Me A Coffee, David. David bought not just one, but two books. He also left some really nice feedback, which absolutely made me blush and tear up. Thank you so much, David, for the books and support. I am so happy that you love the show, and I am so grateful to come together with you every week. Thank you, David. Now, let's get right into it. Honestly, it was so fun rediscovering this person, as I hadn't done this level of extensive research on their history since high school, which was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, guys, just to be clear. So today, I'll be talking about someone who was, simply put, a maverick and a trailblazer. This person was born into a world where they were immediately marginalized and disadvantaged by the majority, imprisoned by laws, rules, and expectations that simply did not fit their ideals or allowed them any independent agency. A person who decided that instead of accepting the unacceptable, they were going to make it their life's mission to enact lasting, impactful change on this world. Radical change that would benefit and open doors once closed for hundreds of years to millions of people. Change that would be felt and realized for years to come all originating from the bravery of just one person. Today, we will be discussing the radical, the rebel, the revolutionary, Susan B. Anthony. (laughs) Susan Brownell Anthony was born on February 15th, 1820 in Adams, Massachusetts. Susan was the second of seven siblings. So this next bit about Susan's upbringing was something that I always found infinitely interesting. And that is that Susan was raised in a household that practiced a form of Quaker beliefs. Susan's father was a Quaker. And although he himself did not believe in all the ideals and felt some of the rules to be prohibitive, He encouraged his children to become independent and value morality above all else, which encompassed a large portion of the Quaker ideals. The Quakers were one of the first religious groups to publicly and wholeheartedly denounce slavery. They were completely anti-racism and advocated for the rights and freedoms of all people. As such... Susan's family was chock full of abolitionists, from her father onto her siblings. This mindset of people are all equal and entitled to basic needs was exposed to Susan since birth. And it goes without saying that this played a significant impact in forming her own opinions later on in life. Susan attended school and learned to read before the age of five. And this is when education was not the traditional societal norm for this time period. 
Around 1826, when Susan was six years old, her family moved from Massachusetts to New York for her father to work a new business venture. Throughout her childhood, Susan attended school in both New York and Pennsylvania. Due to a hard-hitting financial crisis, Susan's family suffered significant losses, and she had to be removed from the boarding school she had been attending. Susan was not unhappy about leaving, though, as she'd felt stifled by the strict rules and overbearing regulations that were enforced by the school. Susan was in her late teens around this time, and after seeing her family continuing to suffer financially, Susan decided it was time to take a job teaching. Around 1846, Susan's family moved to Rochester, New York. If some of your ears are tingling, that's because this location was just mentioned as a significant meeting place in my previous podcast. As I'd mentioned before, Susan's family were avid abolitionists who fought fiercely for the emancipation of the enslaved people very early on. When they'd arrived in Rochester, they were connected with another group of Quakers who believed that certain aspects of the religion had become too restricted for true reform. With this in mind, they formed their own group called the Congressional Friends, who met weekly to strategize and discuss social justice. And yes, yet again, parallel universes collide, my mind is blown, and the timelines are crossed. Many abolitionists attended the weekly meetings at Susan's home, including this stylish statement himself, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass and Susan would actually become very good friends, working closely together on anti-slavery initiatives. Although Susan's family was active in the abolitionist community, they were still dealing with domestic financial issues of their own. Susan was still teaching at the time and took a much more advanced position in her career. Susan had taken a job as a headmistress for the women's department at Kanajahari Academy, taking her far away from all the activism occurring in her hometown. Working as a headmistress was a great new frontier for Susan, as she was exposed to different ideals and ways of thinking at the academy that challenged some of her more conservative views on women. Susan embraced these new ideas and began to form her own identity. Once Susan learned how much less she was being paid than the men at the academy, She was beyond distressed, as any sane person would be. (laughs) Her Quaker upbringing did not support the idea that women were somehow inferior to men, thus only entitled to a portion of the pay. Around 1849, the academy was defunct and Susan returned home to work with her family again. Of course, being around so much activism and philanthropic work, Susan began to shift focus away from the farm and more so on the social justice work that drew more and more of her concern. Unsurprisingly, it did not take long for Susan to fully immerse her life's work in campaigning for reform. Susan attended her first official abolitionist convention in 1851 in Seneca Falls, New York. While there, she was exposed to several big-name revolutionaries, such as Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Amelia Bloomer, and William Lloyd Garrison. 
These were all heavy hitters in the anti-slavery, abolitionist, and equal rights forum. Susan Ann Elizabeth, who was a fellow radical supporter of women's suffrage, would become close allies and partners in the movement. They also were the best of friends, would hang out all the time, and would continue on through life together, fighting for their shared beliefs and creating waves wherever they went. A best friend team for the ages, I'll tell you that. At the time, the temperance movement was a significant part of women's suffrage. Essentially, the temperance movement advocated that current family and divorce laws ruled overwhelmingly and unfairly in favor of men. Susan was a member of the Daughters of Temperance and was delegated to attend the state temperance convention on their behalf. Unfortunately, when Susan tried to speak at the convention, she was scolded by the chairman, who essentially told her to listen and learn. I mean, the absolute irony. I don't know how these women had the patience and self-control. That is amazing in and of itself. This is a great example of Susan's treatment throughout her life experiences, often silenced and ignored about matters that would directly affect her. Like the true G that Susan is, at this admonishment by the chairman, Susan just got up and left, along with several other women who had witnessed the exchange. These women, along with Susan, who had left, had a meeting of their own, which resulted in the creation of the Women's New York State Temperance Society. Susan would also attend one of many national women's rights conventions in her lifetime in 1852. Susan would advocate for women's suffrage, temperance, and anti-slavery with equal vigor. In 1854, Susan began traveling and lecturing for women's suffrage, making her rounds and receiving petition signatures in support of legislators that would improve the quality of life for women everywhere. Susan's campaign for women's rights was long and arduous. When Susan presented her petitions to the New York State Senate Judiciary Committee, her work was mocked and minimized, although men and women had shown support for her cause in the petitions. In an absolute amazing feat, around 1860, the Married Women's Property Act was passed that greatly increased the rights for married women in terms of property and guardianship. This was a monumental move for Susan and the women's suffrage movement. As I'd said before, Susan was just as involved in anti-slavery work as she was with the women's suffrage movement. After traveling and exposing herself to even more of the anti-slavery movement, Susan is quoted by a friend as saying, The experience of the last winter is worth more to me than all my temperance and women's right work, although the latter were the school necessary to bring me into the anti-slavery work. Susan would become an agent for the American Anti-Slavery Society and would organize many anti-slavery meetings. This was the same society that also had Frederick Douglass as an agent. And I had to mention these points because, I mean, Susan was an absolute legend. Just a legend. Susan's banners at the anti-slavery meetings would have statements like, No union with slaveholders. And, immediate and unconditional emancipation, and my personal favorite, a banner that read no compromise with slaveholders. 
this lady was a gem for sure. Sounds like a joy to be around. And just another incredible tidbit. You guys know I'm in love with these. Susan's house was a stop on the Underground Railroad. This would have undoubtedly put her in contact with many abolitionists and those individuals who were escaping slavery, a.k.a. fugitive slaves. Another incredible person that Susan helped? Harriet Tubman herself. Yes, Susan B. Anthony and Harriet Tubman were friends. Y'all know my mind is in shambles. (laughs) After these last couple of absolutes, absolute shambles. Now, I just want to be clear on the overwhelming amount of work that was ongoing simultaneously for Susan. She was always speaking, traveling, writing, working and mentoring women, organizing meetings and rallies, getting petitions, organizing volunteers. Susan was doing it all and would continue this level of dedication and incredible work ethic until her death. At this time, the Civil War had drawn attention away from the women's rights movement significantly, bringing suffrage work to a grinding halt. Susan would be the main organizer behind the 11th National Women's Rights Convention in 1866, the first convention since the Civil War began. Now, it should be mentioned the women's rights movement was not without flaws, with opposing views creating a divide in the group. A more conservative portion of the women's rights group who viewed Susan as too progressive, would form their own segment, which would publicly denounce and oppose Susan's women's suffrage efforts. Susan worked to revive the movement despite the differences in approach. Susan also published several articles in newspapers while traveling, giving historic speeches and lectures. Sound familiar? One such memorable newspaper was The Revolution, a newspaper that was created with Elizabeth Stanton in order to provide a platform to share unbiased views from women. Sadly, this was short-lived, as funding the newspaper on their own proved difficult. Not to be discouraged, Susan would form the Women's Suffrage Convention in Washington, D.C. in 1869. Around this time, women's suffrage had again reemerged as one of the country's biggest issues. Susan would continue her work, staging several political appearances, even earning an audience with President Theodore Roosevelt in her lifetime. In early 1870, women's voting rights were on the forefront. Susan encouraged women to register to vote, which was illegal at the time. In 1872, Susan was arrested when trying to cast her vote in the presidential election. Her charge? Illegal voting. Susan's trial began a year later and was followed closely by the national media. When being threatened with legal action, most people would back down and relinquish their views, especially against an obviously rigged system. This trial did nothing but incense Susan, as it was clear the judge and jury would convict her, no matter what was presented. Susan was only allowed to speak on the last day of her trial in which she delivered a biting commentary on the proceedings. Susan denounced the unsympathetic and ineffective court system, the shoddy and biased judge, and the lack of representation in her jury, amongst other things. The judge, incredibly, directed the jury to enter a guilty verdict for Susan, and she was sentenced to a fine of $100, to which she pointedly declared 
I shall never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty. And she never did. I had to mention that the lady was an absolute champion. She never paid it. Susan would continue to travel and lecture across the country, rising in political status and supporting herself solely on her fees. Susan worked tirelessly to grant the rights of women and the enslaved. Working with Elizabeth Stanton and several others, Susan authored a book that was meant to capture the history of women's suffrage. Around 1880, Susan and Elizabeth began work on the book titled simply The History of Women's Suffrage. From 1870 to 1890, Susan would continue her travels, attending several monumental conventions in several different states, giving incredible speeches, helping to lobby for women in the legislative sphere, as well as educate as many people as she could. In 1890, after much compromise, the two opposing women's suffrage movements finally combined to create the National American Women's Suffrage Association, in which Susan would be president. Susan would retire from the association a decade later when she'd reached her early 80s. During this time, Susan continued to advocate, travel, and speak on women's rights all the way up until her death. Susan B. Anthony passed away of heart failure on March 13, 1906, in her home in Rochester, New York. The 19th Amendment, which was dubbed the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, states the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. This amendment would be passed 14 years after Susan's death. Not to mention the National American Women's Suffrage Association still exists today as the League of Women Voters. I just wanted to say that this woman was an actual phenomenon. I only scratched the surface of the political work and activism Susan participated in. I'd also like to point out that Susan lived her life as a single woman, absolutely scandalous in those days. But the fact that she was able to accomplish so much when her rights were so little, it's just beyond incredible. And personally, as someone who historically has had a problem speaking up, this woman is one of my idols. (laughs) I'm sure everyone's eyebrows just went up in disbelief when I said that, I'm sure. But I am an introvert through and through. I've always had difficulty speaking, especially public speaking. I respect Susan for not just her incredible drive and determination in furthering the rights of women and the enslaved, but also her incredible tenacity and groundbreaking public speaking, her courage, her sass, her unrelenting femininity. The woman was a force to be reckoned with and bring about a reckoning. She did. This quote is pure poetry, so I just had to share. After her arrest in charge of illegal voting, Susan is quoted, it was we, the people, not we, the white male citizens, nor yet we, the male citizens, but we, the whole people who formed the union. And we formed it not to give the blessings of liberty, but to secure them, not to the half of ourselves and the half of our posterity, but to the whole people women as well as men. 
You can follow Made of Metal Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can also check us out at madeofmetalpodcast.com. That's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. If you'd like to support my passion for sharing these stories with you, you can find me on buymeacoffee.com backslash made of metal altogether. You can follow, subscribe, and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast as well. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful for all of you guys. Please continue to give me the feedback. I love it. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much. And as always, Bloom where you are planted.